0: Welcome to State of Mind. This is Julian Royce. Let's see here. Today I'm speaking with Jess Crutchfield. Jess works as a holistic health coach. She's also a body worker trained with modalities like Thai yoga massage. And she just shares with us a wealth of knowledge about health, nutrition, well-being. We talk about things like dharma, purpose, ways that different spiritual traditions are evolving or not evolving in our modern world. And It was great to have a powerful woman like her on the podcast. Um, One of the things that we get into is around the female hormone cycle. And she just shares some really helpful information about that. There's also a male hormone cycle we touched on a little bit, but not as much, something I'm wanting to learn more about. Um, So I was really grateful to have her on. This was a wonderful conversation. and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Without further ado, I bring you Jess Crutchfield. Today with Jess Crutchfield. Jess, thanks so much for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Julian. Thanks for having me here.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you in part from um Thai Bodywork Workshop that you did with partners. It was really a cool experience where yeah, people came in partners and learned ways to you kind know, of massage, kind of bodywork, kind of stretching, yogish like a lot of different and breathwork too, actually, it had a lot of elements involved.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you bring up breathwork, because I wanted to invite us to take a few breaths here to center as we start our little session and today. Yeah,
0: let's do it. I love that. <laughs>
1: and yeah, for all the viewers here, too, uh, just as a reminder that before any big thing or next thing, even, taking a few mindful breaths can be a way to swipe the slate clean and really arrive present. So, yeah. Let yourself be comfortable, your spine tall, if you're sitting and can. And empty out all the breath so that each breath you take from here can be long and smooth, coherent and complete. Noticing if you're holding any tension anywhere and just gently softening and in your mind allowing yourself to settle Letting the breath move to the spaces in the body that feel tense, and letting it settle there, too. Hmm. Yeah, maybe just one more of those to really fully arrive.
0: Oh, sweet. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> I notice myself I do a lot of guided meditation, breath work kind of things with clients I work with. Mm-hmm. It actually felt really nice to have you like guide somebody <laughs> from that <laughs> in that role for a moment.
1: <laughs> I do this with my clients too. Yeah. Yes.
0: I think it's a way to to start something, right? Like at the beginning.
1: I agree. Yeah. Yeah. From the hustle and bustle of the day to the next thing that you're in, whether that's the session here, me and you or like our next session with a different practitioner, just to arrive.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so powerful. I've been um, sharing this practice called cleansing the stale breath with uh, some people, um, or cleansing the stale prana, and it's a traditional, mm. tradition done in Tibetan Buddhism, and it's often done in the morning mm. or just at the start of any meditation practice. Mm. Yeah, but I found it to be really helpful, just almost at the start of anything, and it's it can be as simple as like what you just did, like. Taking a moment of feel your breath really fully and kind of breathe out when you need to let go of, tune into what you're about to do and become more present for it.
1: Mm. I like that phrase, cleansing the stale prana. Yeah. Yeah, like the stagnant yeah. energy that's yeah. just like gunked up in us. And we, I mean, at times I notice when I feel I really need to move and I just kind of shake it out or I literally will blow my lips like a horse and just move, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> move the prana, move the energy around. Yeah. So that's something I can really relate with. Yeah. That's
0: another thing I've noticed in a lot of Boulder gatherings and things where like everyone's like, invited to take a big breath and make a sound with the exhale. But it's actually like so nice to just do that. (laughs) I find myself just doing that more and more.
1: It's so Boulder in a cliche kind of way, but it is also, Boulder is obviously filled with these people who are doing embodiment practices and doing practices that really set up, say, a corporate event for success, whether they're a coach or whether they're just a smart, business savvy person to bring everything back to the body and start the slate clean yeah. it's just smart and boulder i think is filled with lots of those people <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah definitely a bubble well um yeah it's great to have you on the podcast i mean one thing i was thinking about asking you about like we were talking about before you started recording was um like in your emails you often end with like in service or i um, sharing your dharma like some kind of phrase like that i kind of mm-hmm. wanted to ask you more about that and i, I love the idea of you know, doing things, offering things in service, right? And Mm -hmm. Dharma has a sense of connecting with our purpose in a deeper level. Mm -hmm. Ideally for me, like something beyond just trying to make money or just trying to survive. And it's been helpful for me to continually remind myself of that, come back to that, kind of catch myself, um, you know, so as not to get caught up in that kind of mentality that we're immersed in in a culture of, Mm -hmm.
1: it's
0: basically all about money all the time, right?
1: Right, I call that the rat race. We (laughs) get get really caught up in that and, to even know that you've taken the moment to actually read what I've written. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is so touching. I feel so seen that I am a person who's living in line with my own dharma. Like I, I sense that you can tell that that's what I do. And that is what I do. Um, so, right. i all write often in loving service, even at the end of an Instagram post. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. because for me, these are really deep soul offerings anything that i'm choosing to share and i'm born to be a teacher so when i'm sharing something Mm -hmm. it's coming from the space of wow this has been profound for me and i see its profound impact on other people and i want to share that with you whatever Mm -hmm. that is like how can i serve you with what i know because i'm not the author of what i know i stand with the teachers from (laughs) so many lineages from prior to me that inform what i offer and yeah, it's not mine. It's not my copyright. Like mm. to share a coherent coherent breathing practice is not just me. So it's something right. bigger than me. And the, the term dharma in yoga in Sanskrit uh, has much to do with a belief that each soul here on earth is here for a purpose. Mm. And the souls have been here before and we're here in the next incarnation, we'll be here in another one afterwards. And what is your purpose now? How can you bring about Closure to something previous lives have started that you haven't finished. And then now in this lifetime, it's time to do that thing and do that work. Uh, and so it's that good work, that good work that's aligned with your soul's path. It's something that I have felt in touch with for the last several years of my work. Beautiful.
0: I like how you kind of own, like, you feel like you're here to be a teacher part of your path, part of your calling. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually feel like kind of, because I spent a lot of time with more traditional Buddhism and teachers like that, and I think it's a bit of a shadow side, maybe it has its, its pros and cons, but a shadow side in Buddhism where um, there's not, I believe, not enough invitation to share what you've learned, you know, so if I've mm. known people who have done tons mm. of meditation retreats and spent years studying, and mm. they're not there's not a place or an avenue since for them to give back in that way, and I think that, mm. um, I think it's just a natural human thing that we learn something and then we want to share it. It's yeah. not like you have to teach everything you learn, obviously, but if you feel called to share something that's helpful and positive, like more power to you. Um,
1: yeah. mm. uh, it, it almost makes me think that, that what that touches on, the, the notion that in Buddhism, there's not a lot of practitioners also then sharing what they've learned. Yeah. To me, that touches on perhaps certain traditions want to keep things hush-hushed and closed. Right. Like, no, 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 you can't leak this out into the normal people's sphere because they won't be able to handle it. Right. For instance, you referenced Thai body work earlier that I do. And in Thai body work, it used to only be an oral tradition. So each village had its own little flair of how it was doing the work. Mm. And it was being passed on only through the family. And the village was all a family. Right. So eventually when it finally hit the Westerners, they, and they still think this in Thailand, they don't think that we're ready for the energetic, esoteric, spiritual aspects of that very fine energetic healing work, mm. so they kind of dumb it down so mm-hmm. that the Westerners can feel more related to the physical aspects. But it's not a physical practice in Thailand. Mm-hmm. And and I think That's that so that idea yeah. comes into lots of things that us Westerners are taught. It's like, no, 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 you you can't teach this. You're not allowed to teach this. <laughs> and so I've rid myself of the imposter syndrome every time it tries to rear its head that, oh, who says I'm not supposed to do X, Y, Z? like. Who says I'm not supposed to share something that someone else created? If I'm giving credit and owing credit where credit's due, yeah. it's it's passing on stuff that's so helpful. Why hide it? That's not helpful.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. But um, to, yeah, to give credit, to like honor your the teachers you got, where you got it from, and just be honest and transparent, I think that's in our day and age more helpful and more realistic. And We're mm-hmm. in this, this age of information where you can basically go on the internet and find almost anything right? that someone's written.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so and that doesn't necessarily mean it's 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 a good thing, or they're coming from a good place, or it's accurate. So um, yeah, it's just a tricky tricky spot. It. <laughs> but I think maybe I maybe I could say it this way: in terms of these wisdom traditions and healing modalities and all these things, really having the impact that they can have and transforming our society, they need to come with a sense of empowerment of like you've experienced the goodness, and then you can share it at some point. And realistically speaking, we don't. I think in the tr- more traditional sense, you would be working with this particular teacher who could see your particular evolution and development, and then at some point encourage you to start sharing too, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But because of our world today, that's, that's such a rare situation.
1: Yeah, it's such a gift if you have the opportunity to work directly with the teacher and it be really a traditional, like in the yoga sense, a, cu- a guru and disciple uh, method of teaching is not common anymore
0: yeah, so especially do it for years and then, like live in proximity with each other. And yep. have that kind of
1: thing. yeah, that'd be like you'd have to give up the rat race completely and go be a <laughs> monk for 50 years. Yeah, who in the Western world will choose that? <laughs> some people some people <laughs> <win> it. <laughs> I'm saying it with a little of sarcasm <laughs> like it's still a, it's it's a beautiful practice and I know plenty of people who choose to do it for little stints of time mm. and then come back to the modern quote unquote world and do what they can to integrate it.
0: Nice, yeah. And so you're, um, did you study in Thailand? Or how did you?
1: Thailand has been a place that's called me for a long time. And like you mentioned, in our world of information sharing, my teachers studied there and brought it to the U.S. So I studied when I was still living on the East Coast in Maryland Mm -hmm. with my teacher who was there too, who'd in her own way gotten the approval from her Thai teachers to teach the work. Yeah, and shared it with me, and it's just been this ever-growing process since then. And Thailand didn't end up in my cards when the world shifted in 2020, uh, and so, so many, many things <laughs> have since yeah, so many things since then have been up in the air. It's still in the horizon.
0: Hmm. And would you would you say like use the word yoga and talking about dharma? Has that been more your orientation?
1: Yeah, the yoga is what underpins it all for me, and. Um, Gosh, I mean, yoga was the first stepping stone into my own path that's since avalanche tumbled forward and Thai massage came from it. But Thai is also very much based in yoga. It's almost equal parts yoga tradition and Buddhist tradition and Thai uh, traditional Chinese medicine tradition. Interesting. It's like those three corners of the world in the Tibetan Himalayan kind of areas, they all disseminated very similar information all at the same time. And so... Yoga and Thai bodywork are very much married together in in my own worldview and and the dharma, that we referenced before. And that's what's just extending me down the path of studying consciousness and breath.
0: Beautiful. I'm actually remembering a story I heard that Thai bodywork or Thai yoga massage, whatever it was called, was started by the Buddha's physician who traveled to
1: Thailand. Have you heard that? I have heard that. Okay. And I've heard that the Buddha himself had... Traditional chi, uh, Thai medicine practice every day. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, in, in layman term, the Buddha had a Thai bodywork session every day.
0: Nice. Good for him. <laughs> Good for him. I'm
1: like, man, that's my aspiration is to have bodywork that frequently.
0: That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so, I know um, embodiment is a big passion and what you're offering to people and teaching about. Do you want to wanna jump into those waters with
1: me? Yeah, riffing on that forever. Um, I do teach, as, you, as you've as you allured to. Uh, <laughs> <that> alluded to <laughs> that Thai body work is one method in in public workshop form where people in couples or just people who want to know how to touch each other better whether they're friends or family uh, will come and they'll take those workshops and that's been the first thing that really made me realize I love teaching people how to be in their bodies and how to help the person that they care about be in their bodies and, and help each other but it's gone just so many avenues since then about how exquisite it is to feel what this cool miraculous meat suit can do (laughs) is (laughs) and so teaching those ways and just continuing to explore in my own body I'm always a student that's the thing with a lot of teachers miraculous meat suit (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) it's a good phrase yeah well so okay here's a question for you that I'll just see where it lands but like we talk about body embodiment the miraculous meat suit I love that turn of phrase versus like, you know, some kind of spirit or soul that's inhabiting it or consciousness. And Mm. a lot of people have the idea that that, you know, it's somehow separate, we're here for a while, the body will die, and the consciousness could carry on. Or we basically are just this physical body and it dies, and then that's the end of it, whatever that means, you know, it's over. Where do you land with all that, with this? It's it's, it's, it's such a complex question. It's
1: a cool question. I think that it is somewhere in the both and category of those options (laughs) that I do believe that there is a spirit and our soul is not something that will die when this physical form dies. For me, I can be infinite in the way that I impact other people in this lifetime, even though my body will die and -hmm. my soul may move on to another thing or come back, but my impacts will still be here. And and so I, I see that as one piece and, and further that there are so many layers of our presence from the physical and outward. Uh, In yoga, they see it almost like little shells, where there's like the little, the man of our body is the physical form and then outside of that is like the emotional body and the energetic body and like it continues in a couple more esoteric fields. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're separate from our soul. Mm -hmm. So it is a fantastic question to consider, well, if this body dies and our soul continues on, are we not then separate from the soul somehow? I think that there's a way in which it is really quite integral into us and to really yeah. feel our body's processes. Like, from a scientific point of view, A, so many of us are not feeling what our body really feels. Mm. We do an incredible job of surviving on this planet <laughs> and surviving with loads of conditions of work and caring for family or animals and caring for all these other people, except for ourselves. Mm. And we're so good at not tending to ourselves. Yeah. And that is what I am so driven to help change the perspective on because people that care for themselves are therefore able to care for what's around them far better yeah and it's all connected to the body
0: That's so true mm-hmm. i've really found that in my practice you know as a trauma therapist and the work i'm doing with people one-on-one for me to stay present with myself while having my attention with them with and what's happening in the room what's happening between us but to stay attuned to my own body to my own needs to what's happening and and like to actually seeing that it's not separate from the therapy, from the healing. Like it's, it's actually so interconnected. Like my own regulation mm-hmm. in the face of someone who's experiencing strong emotions. Where it's not separating from them. It's also not joining in in the sense of like becoming overwhelmed or, or what by trauma or whatever. It's like this this delicate balance of like mm-hmm. we can be here together. We can feel this. We can process this. We can move through this and. Mm-hmm. Kind of holding that anchor, um, and I find that if I can really practice that throughout the day, I can go through a day of working with clients and and feel I might be tired. I'll be tired at the end of the day. I'll be ready for rest or whatever, but I'm not burnt out. I'm not um, discouraged. I'm not dysregulated. I'm, sure,
1: because you've been present myself. in your, yeah. You've been present in yourself throughout it. Yeah, that's so important. There, there are times working with clients that I'll find, and and in this sense, I'm. No, no, it's in both senses. My, my main works are body work and coaching for those that don't yet know the second half of my world. Mm. And we've been talking about body work. But in both regards, when working with someone, I may find that they'll have a certain experience and I'll feel something in my body that yeah. cues me into their experience. Yeah. And that sounds really strange, but it's so common that, say, in a body work session, I'll be doing my thing and I'll, I'll catch myself in thought. Like, I'll be drifted off to my own thought land. Mm. And I'll often say, hey... How's your body? Are you in your mind right now? And they always inevitably kind of like laugh and say, "Yeah, my brain's just like gone off to the nether sphere right. of thoughtland." <laughs> I'm All like, right. "Wow, well, I did too." And I, I, think we we both were on the same wavelength here, and that just sort of happened.
0: It's um, <laughs> good that you can catch people and bring them back. Like that's such a gift in and of itself. Yeah,
1: there was really cool research done by the Heart Math Institute. Oh, yeah, that shows that the heart's electromagnetic field when you're in the presence of someone, not even touching them. Just in the presence of that person, your hearts end up in regulation to each other mm. because the, the electromagnetic f- field of your heart goes out quite a distance around you. So the people in a room with you, when you're filled in a room, like say at a big show and there are 200 people in a room, mm. you're going to be affected by all those person's energies because they're all yeah. bobbling off of each other. Yeah. <laughs> and us sitting next to each other even right now there's a coherence that we're both in. So we're going to, if we're able to touch in with what we feel, we may very well feel what the other feels too.
0: Yeah, I believe that's, that's so true. Yeah, I love that. That's well said. Yeah, I think that's um, part of the power and beauty of, you know, a good music show or event or gathering. If everyone's there, more or less happy, having a good time, peaceful. Mm-hmm. And the music, of course, is like helping people to sing together. Mm-hmm. And then, but I also do think about, I mean, I love going to spaces like that and, and experiencing that and. It was actually last night I was at Red Rocks so with Trevor Hall. I was telling you, it definitely had that, like, heart-opening quality and just very gentle and beautiful, like, just moments of beauty, right? And everyone, yeah, having, it, like, being there together in that way. But I do also keep in mind, like, the flip side of that, where you could have a mob of people or, mm-hmm. you know, a negative or war or something, right? Where that same dynamic yes. is being used in a, in a negative, hurtful, scary way. I and mean, this obviously happens in human history. We shouldn't, we shouldn't, uh you know, forget that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, let's all come together. And like, yeah, but like, let's come together with good intention and good purpose.
1: Well, what's also beautiful about that same thing is it only takes one person to start changing that whole dynamic too.
0: In that space
1: of negativity, one person starting to shift will start its own ripple effect. And that's a great metaphor for just the entire sphere of our life in this current reality we're in in 2023. I can shift my own internal state and I can Feel presence and feel love and feel abundance. Then, even though there's weirdness going on around me, it will start to emanate. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And I think I think figures like like the Buddha or Jesus, these people, whatever their historical reality, you know, archetypically and like mythologically, they represent that potential for a single individual to kind of shift the tide. Mm-hmm. And it's super powerful. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, like we've had these. They kind of like. Obviously, the individual isn't shifting the tide on their own, but they somehow become this symbol through which a mass of people can start moving in a different direction, at a different resonance, at a different frequency.
1: I almost look at it like a lighthouse.
0: Lighthouse, yeah. How do you
1: find your way in the dark and in the ocean? You follow the beam of the lighthouse. Like keep following that light. Hmm. Yeah. So, (laughs) I aim to be a light like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good (laughs) goal. Did you always have um, that kind of spiritual calling or did it develop at some
1: point? Oh, nice question. I think that there was always this sort of like, I'm putting in air quotes, noble cause that I wanted to be a teacher from a really, really, really young age. And school was my jam. I loved the academics. I liked uh, doing well and naturally like what comes with doing well in school, the achievement that I felt and Mm. that was reflected to me by parents or other family or teachers and some point I think maybe the first time I can remember was like seventh grade I'm definitely going to be a teacher and I thought it might have been English and I thought it might have (laughs) been math and then by high school I knew for sure it was music and I went down the path to become a music educator (laughs) So, so I ended up going to university to study both like basically double major, a performance major and an education major um, uh-huh. on flute. And then French horn was what I landed with. And just went from all a grade school practically with this mission of being a school teacher to help mm-hmm. kids, to help them stay in touch with creativity and life in that way. And lots of things have shifted in mm-hmm. in the many years since I finished my undergraduate studies. But there's still this draw to share wisdom that mm-hmm. I've been blessed to have the privilege to be in touch with.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And what what about the embodiment piece? Like when did that become anything I'm sure about how that became central to your, yeah. to your life?
1: It was not at all central throughout the grade school times and the music education times. Sure. If anything, I was the complete opposite and I've been my own guinea pig and experiment mm. through now my current career in embodiment and wellness and coaching that I didn't have any connection to what I felt in those ages. Sure. You know, yeah. playing an instrument didn't matter yeah. if my arm was getting sore, I still yeah. played that instrument and and performed the music the way that it's meant to be performed with the perfectionism too. Ooh, so deep. Yeah. And it was during college that someone introduced me to hot yoga, which is a lot of people's introduction to yoga in the Western uh. world. Don't knock it at all, but it wasn't the end-all be-all for me. It did, however get me to start paying attention to what I felt. And -hmm. the whispers were really quiet for the first like five years of doing yoga. Um, So probably like 2011 through 2015, I didn't have a lot of connection to yoga, Mm -hmm. but I still went every now and then. And I ended up in another country after my undergraduate studies and I found yoga in a deeper way. Mm -hmm. But when I went back to the US afterwards, thinking I needed to quote unquote, do the job I said I would do with my college degree I got a school gig and felt when I went to the yoga studios back in Maryland that I just was hyperventilating in those spaces and it was interesting to me that something had shifted in my time living in Australia for a year mm-hmm. that the breath being that fast in a hot yoga class just wasn't okay and something fell off in my yeah. body
0: it's good to notice that
1: yeah and then I just Happenstance ended up in an event where someone suggested I go take a retreat because I mean, they thought I looked like a burnt-out teacher who didn't love what she was doing. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and i have never been seen so deeply until that moment. I didn't have that experience, and now I think I provide that experience for people of seeing them in those ways. But thank, thank God for that man named Steve, and I, I ended up going to take that retreat, and that's where I first was introduced to Thai Massage. Oh, cool. So January 2017 was really a big domino taking a Thai retreat, taking a Thai training afterwards, finding deeper yoga through the teacher that taught that course to then continue down and just avalanche, as I've described it, Mm. of finding this self and what this feels like in myself and not just this thing I'm supposed to be in the outer world and the depiction of what a good teacher or a good musician is supposed to be and always putting on a good face and almost acting.
0: In the right. classroom.
1: My stuff didn't matter. I couldn't be my real self. I had to be this this thing for these students. And with time, I realized that that was incongruent to me living in alignment with what was true for me. And so I stopped. Beautiful. Yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. authentic. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. I think, I imagine a lot of people listening can relate to that. I can relate to that. Like, I it's pretty disembodied for a lot of my early life and if that was the norm in my family and the culture I was in um, you know so many of us are living in our head mm-hmm. intellectual i can actually i can actually feel like physically kind of queasy and sick if i reflect on the kind of food i ate when i was like 10 11 12 14 same, 15
1: same like, cosmic brownies interested. and easy mac yeah. and standard american diet it's
0: like so disconnected from mm. And I didn't feel good actually, but I was just Mm-mm. was so disconnected. It I didn't make, have the knowledge and these connections, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm sure my family was better than others. And you know, we had we had food and we yeah. ate somewhat healthy sometimes, but there was also tons of yeah, all the stuff you just like candy and all this stuff. So For
1: sure. soda. And I'm similar. You know, I came yeah. from a family that, that did really well for what they had and still was standard American diet type stuff and not really any knowledge of how to be in touch with one's own body. They don't teach this stuff in grade school. Yeah. I had a huge kick of teaching kids yoga for a while when I was still teaching in the schools and I was becoming a yoga teacher yeah. because I just knew, man, if only they knew how they really felt when they did XYZ thing, whether yeah. it was ignoring... Their thirst signs, or whether it was mm. eating beyond their needs and overeating candy or like, you know, the school offices and the teachers eating yeah. crappy donuts for the staff meeting, that we don't learn not to do. Yeah. So it's fascinating that some of us, like you and I, have come to realize that there's another way to be, and it feels a lot better.
0: feels mm. a lot better. It's good to remember that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> this feels a lot better than it did and in- 2,000, you know, in my body.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wonder, yeah, and I think to go back to the kind of east-west thing, I think the kind of embodiment that you're talking about, that we're talking about here, it's a a universal thing, and I don't think people, you know, in the quote-unquote east are any better worse at it than in the quote-unquote west, because I think um, Mm. it's it's just a complicated thing, but I've certainly been in, for example, you know, Buddhist kind of retreats or situations where um, it, that this embodiment component, the holistic health, the sensing your needs, the being in touch with your experience in like the somatic embodied way is actually not, not being taught, not emphasized. It's like maybe there's a focus on feeling the breath or on um, like, you know, creating good karma and mm-hmm. it's just this idea of like it can become, a, it can be very mental. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, it's not like over in the East it's one way and over in the West it's another way. I think it's And even someone who's, like, immersed in something like yoga, they could be doing it from, like, a very mental place that's very driven and very, like, I have this concept of what this is supposed to look like and I have to do this certain number of things and I have to do this certain amount of time every day. And and it's, like, a very mental map, which can help for a while, but it's different than, like, really getting in touch with the lived experience in the body and honoring that.
1: I think that's a really good point. I haven't personally spent significant time in the East and analyzing how they live. But what you say right now really makes sense to me. And and I am almost creating this story that it's a worldwide like pandemic in its own way, that we're so mental. We have so much access to information and we're so in our ego that we're a little disconnected from the real cohesive whole. Yeah. That if we were, then the Easterners would do these practices that we in the West idolize from a place of integration and not just mm. from mental construct. You know, I see the yogis that are like, ah, oh, I'm like eating the vegan diet and I'm doing yoga two times a day and I still feel like shit. They still mm-hmm. feel like shit for so many reasons. And it's...
0: Like, it doesn't work to live from the shoulds and <laughs> obligations. Like, you gotta get to like mm-hmm. a deeper place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, like learn these principles and then like apply them rather than focusing on the outer form. I'm really like thinking about this and seeing it differently. Like I give like an example of like when we're in school here, like I grew up, when I was in elementary school, we had these terrible desks that had the desk built into the chair. Yeah. And I remember like being in pain and like sitting there and like the room would be freezing cold with AC and like, uh-huh. you'd have to you can, you know, you, in theory, you could go use the bathroom, but oftentimes like the teacher wouldn't call on you or you have to wait till recess. Or just getting your basic needs met wasn't that easy. And I have memories of that, you know, and it's not good. And, But I remember, like, living in in Nepal, too, like, seeing, like, these little, like, monk children in the monastery school, like, kind of a similar thing. Like, you have to sit, like, don't move, like, don't talk, like. Yeah. um, And Uh then being in, like, um, because, like, Zen monasteries where like, the practice is, like, sit with this perfect posture and don't move for 45 minutes. And, like, that's the ideal that you're trying to do. Mm. And obviously that can lead to, like, tremendous, like, back and knee problems and all kinds of…
1: <laughs> and other like traumas, just, for yeah. sure, of the, oh, I, I better not do this thing to fuck this up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 45 minutes, I have to start back at one minute if I move? Oh, darn. But
0: yeah, that would be t- Yeah, so it's like… It's
1: very rigid
0: that much. It can be. Whole. It can be. And I'm not saying all of them are. In, but if you… Yeah, and there, there's a danger there in getting into that rigidity of it.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd recently done a little research on the word should to find oh, yeah. like the, to find like the etymology of where did should come from like why do we say should to each other and to ourselves and the phrase stop shoulding on yourself <laughs> is one that really rings for me and I've really changed my relationship to the word should because it comes from shall which comes from this basis of I owe something for this and so every time you say should it's like digging this little hole of the debt you owe to yourself or to others and you're making yourself feel ashamed when you should yourself i should do this can be replaced with something like oh i could choose to do this thing that might be good for me. Mm. Like everyone says drink more water. We would say probably I should drink more right. water. Well, rather than shaming yourself for not drinking enough, why not shift the dialogue to I could drink more water and it might have a great impact on me. Yeah. I would like to drink more water.
0: I think like that. Yeah. Like the, the language and, can make a difference.
1: And so with yoga, I would like to do practices every day. And I'm not going to shame myself if I haven't mm. is yeah. a perspective. Yeah. and. You know, a thing that's still in my brain that I know we wanted to talk about was specifically around women
0: yeah, and, and uh, like
1: I mean, the forcefulness that these practices seem to espouse. <laughs> I need to do it every day. Otherwise, I'm not going to attain the enlightenment state <clears throat> or whatever it is. And it's it's coming from a place of coercion and a place of force and it's contrived. And for a woman that mm. has a cycle for a hormone path that is not linear like a man's is, mm it's really not helpful to force that practice every day. If you're the yoga practitioner that's female and feeling really crappy because you're forcing yourself to do breath of fire every day in your kundalini yoga practice, mm. I could tell you why. It's because breath of fire on the days you're bleeding is not a good plan. That's a good
0: thing to share with people. That's new for me, obviously. It doesn't directly relate to my own personal life, but it makes so much sense
1: well, for that breath in particular, it's yeah. causing the, the diaphragm to draw up and in. It's a practice that's drawing the energy from the base of the spine, like the Kundalini energy, up towards the crown of the head. Yeah. And if your aim is to draw the energy up, but your period flow is going down and out, you really could cause infections inside of you or oh, wow. even just discomfort. And over time, um, your period might not be the same robustness it once was if you're forcing yourself to do breath of fire every day, despite your period,
0: interesting. So
1: you may have more menstrual issues. And you, what were you going to say?
0: Are you suggesting that doing something like the breath of fire could like reverse the flow a little bit? It could
1: reverse the flow a little bit. It's fascinating. Yeah. It, it's not going to make it outright stop. I imagine like the very extreme end of this. Yes, it could maybe <laughs> make it stop. It would make, you know, amenorrhea be more of a thing or PCOS be more of a thing for women. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the the goal is to let it flow down and out of you yeah pumping the belly holding root lock and diaphragm lock don't make any sense if your energy is meant to go down in a way and you're also meant to rest more
0: Yeah, more rest
1: and you need it you know you feel it women who are in touch with themselves will feel that they need more rest Mm. and will still push through because Mm. society says we should or because they have a nine to five monday to friday job that they can't take time off from yeah and then they're just forcing themselves and that's how we end up perpetuating the cycle of not feeling good and feeling burnt out instead yeah as a woman
0: it's definitely a kind of pandemic these that word, again in our culture in the world now at large but for men and women of like nine to five Monday through Friday you got to work you got to show up I mean there's something to that I can respect that kind of masculine discipline but to listen to your body and honor when you need more rest when you need when you can make more effort when you can't and then bounce the weight
1: well, that's a really good point there, too, is that it's a masculine effort. And there's something yeah. admirable about being able to achieve that. On, oh, I used to get off on being able to achieve anything. And there's still part of me that does, but it's a really strong masculine drive. And mm-hmm. if our world was only masculine, then we wouldn't exist. The dualistic, nat- <laughs> the dualistic nature of our world is the yin yang, yin yang. It's the masculine femme. It's the chaos and the order. Yeah. And we can't only have order and... Rigidness and achievement-based focuses Mm -hmm. in the order of which the masculine is we -hmm. need that But we have to also balance it and you as a male need the feminine balance as much as I as a female need the feminine balance Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah. that's That's a good thing to share too and both need both like Mm -hmm. So in terms of um, It's like one of the biggest differences perhaps between men and women just in general in terms of their subjective experience Like the cycle that women go through Mm -hmm. How would you, do you want to share more about that? Like-
1: well, obviously I'm not a man, so I haven't ever been in your cycle. But from what I've studied in functional medicine and in women's hormones and hormone health as a whole, a male cycle, the testosterone cycle, has the peak and value it'll have in a 24-hour clockwork cycle every single day of his life. A man who's in a thriving relationship that sleeps in the same bed as that partner will forever wake up uh-huh. with morning wood. It will always happen because there's a spike in testosterone uh-huh. and in cortisol, which uh-huh. is also a hormone, yeah. in that time of the morning between like five and seven a.m., depending on how that person's circadian rhythm is. Yeah. And it'll get the reset every day. Mm. So that's why men seem to be able to just go to the gym every day without fail, yeah. Yeah. because they have the same cycle of hormone pumping through them every 24 hours. And I don't know why biologically we're made this way. Uh Not scientifically, at least. The female cycle, though, as many women listening will know, is somewhere between 26 to 29 days when it's healthy. Mm. And that means that there really is a slow rise up of estrogen before progesterone kicks in, and then the progesterone levels are up higher. And the levels of estrogen and progesterone change throughout those 26 to 29 days. Mm -hmm. And as you're leading into the bleed, the late luteal phase, That's when we feel the heaviest and like we're in the swamp and just we can't be bothered we're easily overwhelmed Mm -hmm. because our whole system is filled with this hormone that hasn't yet been released and then when the bleed happens it's releasing it all out and refreshing everything it's literally like cleaning the oven (laughs) 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 like like the whole uterine lining drops everything's reset great now there's space if a if a sperm wants to to fertilize an egg cool like Mm -hmm. it could happen after that and this repeats every month mm. and it's so amazing to really be in touch with it you mm. feel so much more in touch with the actual earth and yeah. the moon and yeah. the waters women are these like are, we're, we're vessels like even the shape of our womb our yoni is mm. an internal shape we're a vessel in which to receive stuff <laughs> like feminine receptive pole versus the masculine penetrative pole I like, think about the shape of these objects <laughs> the body parts not objects yeah and uh, so our cycle to attune to it, I think, is a real skill and a real gift. Mm. And most women, maybe even most women listening, might be scoffing at me like oh, I'd be impossible to actually match with my cycle because of my job or because mm. of XYZ reason. It's usually because of the job. Mm. Interesting. But you've made an effort, right, to try to live your, like, adjust your lifestyle. With that. Absolutely. And I'm not a normie in this way. I don't have a nine to five job. I see clients at times that work for me. I do typically still work Monday to Friday. And I guess it still kind of is usually within the windows of nine to five. But I have so much more flexibility not having a direct employer by doing my own work and my own teachings and offerings and retreats all on my own. Uh, I can plan ahead and look at an app that I use to track. I think most women on the world now track their cycle with an app. To be able to yeah. predict, like, oh, okay, May 11th will be the next time mine comes. <laughs> and yeah. then after that, I can see the next one. And I can look ahead when someone asks me about an event to see, mm, no, this event's going to fall at the peak of my heavy part of my bleed. And I'm not going to have the energy to be social at that time. Mm-hmm. So I'll say no to the event.
0: So say no. That's a good message to share. That's, that's so interesting. and it? it takes a certain strength to say no based on that. But uh, I think you're right. Like, a lot of women are tracking their cycle, but I don't know at that they've told me, where they're making those kinds of planning decisions based on that information in that way. Yeah.
1: No, I may still like it. pencil that in as an option in my calendar. Yeah. Like I'm interested in this, but I'm also completely willing to say yes to myself and no to the outward social thing or the whatever mm. event it might have been if I know that I'm going to need rest that day and take it by ear that day. Yeah. Sometimes I have more energy than I think I'll need. Or sorry, sometimes I think I'll, sometimes I have more energy than I think I would have. <laughs> Uh-huh. um, and that's because I'm accommodating my cycle so well and giving myself the space that I might it's, need, yeah that when the time actually comes around, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I'm bleeding, but like I still want to go be social, so I'm going to uh-huh. choose it, and giving myself the option to choose
0: not, not should yourself
1: not should myself and and then, you know, to tie in something I had just mentioned that our no to someone else is a yes to ourself, mm and this is some teachings that have been floating around the boulder sphere for a while and floating around in my world for longer than that, that the notion that, you know, just because someone's invited you to do something and yeah, you want to do that something with them. If you're not going to be your self that you want to be when you're with them, if you're not going to have the recharge you need and you're actually not replenished and present, it's going to be better that you just said no and take care of you. Yeah. So your no is taking care of you instead of forcing yourself to take care of someone else or, caretake them or baby them or any other thing.
0: I love that. I appreciate what you're sharing about, you know, the embodiment piece, obviously feeling yourself, being in touch with yourself, being aware of your cycle, kind of looking ahead and planning. One of the things that brought to my mind is it'd be easy for me to, I use a calendar on my phone for like everything these days. Yeah. It's easy to put in like every Sunday at 2 PM, you know, I'm going to do this or have a reminder. Yep. And it's like this, you know, digital thing and it'll repeat for forever on this calendar. But there isn't an option to so easily, you know, what you're talking about is like more nuanced. It's not always going to fall on the same day. It's not always Mm going to be one week from now or every Sunday. It's going to be a a different day of the week every month, right? So it's Mm -hmm. a much more organic, human, living, feminine, obviously, process versus this like analog, digital, calendar, world of time. It's not linear. It's not linear, yeah. Yeah.
1: The hormone cycle for a woman is not linear. That's where you that's cannot, where
0: it's like turning like a wrench in things for other people. because Right. And like is, for the people yeah. who
1: want to say connect with their partner on the weekend every weekend. But one weekend of every month, you're just not feeling top notch as a woman because it's your really? cycle time. Yeah. But yet there's this like have to rigidity of the linearity right. of a cycle of a schedule. And women can't really fit that.
0: Doesn't work. for. I th- <sighs> think this is actually a really big thing in terms of relationships, no female dynamics. It's. Maybe I'm just feeling this inspiration for more men to educate and learn and actually respect and appreciate that rather than I was supposed to hang out with my partner every Sunday and she's not.
1: She bailed on me because she was tired. Yeah. But she needed that rest and maybe that partner instead, that guy could instead. And give her a foot rub and set up a bath for <laughs> there you. <her>. Go. <laughs> you know, find a different way to connect with your partner when she needs rest and repose. That's a good suggestion. Yeah. So many men can attune, and like you're gonna feel great. Me- men listening, you will feel so good if you take care of your woman in this way because she uh-huh. will just melt for you and devote to you afterwards. <laughs> like it's no joke. If she feels taken yeah. care of and given the space she needs to rest, then she's gonna be far less cranky. Definitely. After. Uh-
0: yeah, definitely a better option than resentment and
1: yes. blaming and
0: yes. shaming and yeah. Oh well, yeah, interesting. I'm just so struck by that non-linear, non doesn't fit into the digital calendar. So, so, there's something about time that I've been chewing on and struggling with, and it's like we have time so measured out. And now that we all have phones, we're all in the same time and the clock and everything. But there's something about the human lived reality that doesn't you know it doesn't fit into that all the time, and it's like Mm-mm. this. Uh, Yeah, it's interesting tension because, like, for my work, like, I show up on time. I'm going to be there for people, obviously, but I have a lot of understanding if someone's late, if someone needs to change, like, and just, and then with, like, I kind of separate out different spheres, but, like, socially, if I'm going to, like, a dinner or something, there's kind of, like, 10 to 30-minute window where you're not really late if you're 15 minutes late because everyone else is, too, or something. It's interesting with time and then. This is such an interesting concept. The phenomena of like so many of us being so rushed and hurried all the time. Mm-hmm. So I heard this phrase a few weeks ago called hurry sickness. Mm-hmm. Some like indigenous elder that was like, everyone in your culture is hurry sickness. Because like, we're hurrying all the time, we're rushing all the time. And it's, it's <laughs> so true. So it's like a disease so We're like rushing around. And I, I catch myself doing it. Probably driving is the worst example. Mm-hmm. I really make an effort to not do that. But yeah, but it's just this mental thing of like, Rushing, hurrying, trying
1: to get Mm. somewhere. Yeah, and listening to this makes me want to come up with my best wisdom for the antidote to this. (laughs) 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 And and you know, many minutes ago we talked about basically like the worldwide pandemic on ego-based, mental-based living. Mm-hmm. And I think that the hurry sickness comes from this construct that we have to get it right and get it perfect and achieve a lot and get better money this month than we did last month. Yeah. And all of this, like this hurry sickness is coming from this space of not really being connection to your body. Mm-hmm. And even right now, as I think about hurry sickness when you're driving, I think, oh, okay, can you instead make your driving a mindfulness practice every time you're behind the wheel and can even the simple thing of opening the door. And as you sit down, like sit down comfortably and slowly (laughs) and like really enjoy putting on the seatbelt slowly, lusciously, right? Like, you know, sit there and take a breath. And, and in my practice at times when I feel like it's, a weird day I'll like say a a Sanskrit mantra for protection before I drive the car (laughs) and then in the car at the stoplights rather than like most people picking up the phone can you instead count your breath or repeat a mantra or any other practice Mm. that isn't making yourself feel rushed because you're not going to get there any faster let's be real even when you try to gun it and you swerve around people, you're putting things in risk. You're, you're yeah. threatening someone else's safety. You have a lot of impacts to other people when you act that way. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah you really don't actually get there faster. Maybe marginally. Maybe 30 seconds faster. And it's that's not better. worth the stress.
0: Yeah. It's so true. It's right in. Well, that's good. Anything else to share about the woman's cycle that you've been wanting to share with people? Hmm. Here's a, a question for you. I once did this hour-bound trip. I was like 18. It was like three weeks of pretty hardcore backpacking. It was actually here in Colorado in the Rockies. We were like way out in the middle of nowhere. No roads, no cars, no trails even. We were off trail. Anyway, there was this woman who was like in my group. She was older, but I think she was kind of like addicted to exercise. Like always mm-hmm. wanting to do more, always mm-hmm. pushing her body. And towards the end of the the whole thing, like she shared with our group, like she hadn't had her period in some long, you know, six months or some long amount of time. And it was real, it seemed related to like overexertion. Do you want to speak to that?
1: It's 100% related to overexertion. (laughs) Uh, I alluded to amenorrhea earlier, and it's when uh, a woman is doing actions that basically signal to her body that it's not safe to bleed. Mm. (laughs) So she doesn't bleed and it could be dietary, it could be stress, and most of all, it's typically overexertion. Mm. It's training harder than your resting that will cause a woman to not really have a good cycle. And a lot of women who are coaches, uh, that are fitness coaches, I mean to say, I see them on Instagram all the time and I see their posts and they're like, working out real hard every day. And I'm like, girl, how? Like, what's your period? Like, (laughs) are you, are you really all that healthy? If you're working out and have that much strength, you're not meant to be a bodybuild like that. Mm. So yeah, for that woman on that trip that you were on. Yeah, absolutely. She was very likely overworking herself, maybe for some drive to escape something else uncomfortable about her life. Right. Yeah. Something emotionally well, uncomfortable. Psychological explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the the escapism that our society has now really does affect women in this way. Like, we're running from really feeling what we feel. But if we just allow ourselves to feel what we feel, then it gets less severe. Mm. You know, women who have crazy cramps, it might sound like a miracle right now. And, and I don't mean to offend any woman who may have crazy cramps. But if you allow yourself to feel those, and if you treat your body better with the right foods and drinks, mm. just... You know, there's so many things I could say as, for instance, but maybe instead just hit me up if this is a problem for you. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if you alter what you eat and you alter how your workouts are, that intensity will lessen statistically every time. Mm. So bringing yourself to actually feel that process <laughs> and allow it rather than fight it or run from it or placate it or numb it mm. will allow you to feel better and then, you know, your your peaks of your cycle, you'll push harder and your valleys of your cycle, you allow yourself to rest and it just feels good and you feel replenished. And every month I personally feel replenished and I have high output weeks and I have low output weeks and I stack more of my work Mm. in the high output, like literal work, like with clients and workshops and whatnot, I'll do my very best to stack them all. When I have my higher energy phases of the cycle, like two to three weeks of my cycle, usually it's around the two or two and a half week marks worth, mm-hmm. and then a week and a half's worth of more, as rest. much as I can rest.
0: Balance. I like that. It makes so much sense. I think one thing that can help people, what's helped me, is to like look at resting and things like taking a good quality nap or yoga nidra or deep relaxation as a kind of skill, mm-hmm. and or good sleep like as a skill, and then like you can kind of engage that part of you that wants to always do better and be better. And it's like, let's get better at napping (laughs) and let's get better at resting.
1: Well, non-sleep deep rest yoga, Nidra, you know, um, The Andrew Huberman podcast is just brilliant. He's always talking about these sorts of topics. And non-sleep deep rest is one of those things where if you are a high achiever and want to check a thing off your box, put your rest on your list of things to do to make yourself feel good that you're achieving something. And getting better at non-sleep deep rest is, it is quite difficult. Getting better at yoga nidra And the restful states Mm. is difficult to do because it means that you have to allow your mind to slow down Mm. from this, again, worldwide affliction we have of being so in our heads. And it's hard to let our heads slow down. So
0: hard, yeah. So if
1: you practice it and you catch yourself floating off in headspace again, but you bring yourself back to your body Mm. every time. The meditation teachers always say this, right? You know, float off, come back to the breath or come back to the body every time and that's a win celebrate that little win of ah oh, i was doing non-sleep deep rest and five minutes and i floated away but i brought myself back and then seven minutes in i floated away but i brought myself back again still pat yourself on the yeah. back for making progress totally
0: yeah yeah <laughs> well, i guess one thing that i'm maybe this is obvious but so there's like a natural cycle for women that it's a sign of health to be experiencing that fully in a certain way, and if it's not happening, it's a sign of not being as healthy as you could be. I just, yeah, I don't know if that's, like, new information for some people, but I'm just the just, I don't hear that, like, out there in the world, it's, like, for in terms of women's health, it's, like, because some people maybe are, like, I don't have my period, like, and they like that, because they don't like every other period. You no,
1: know, the women who are on hormonal birth control and don't have their period is a whole additional subject of just great lack of health, <laughs> greatly lacking health, and, you know, the the baseline is, is women are not actually supposed to feel crampy and awful. Mm. They're meant to likely feel like they need to rest and go slower, but it's not meant to be this excruciating pain that makes Mm. you stay in bed all day. That's not what it's supposed to be. And and what you just said is true. If their body is in right alignment, they won't have these negative Mm. effects. They won't feel drained and burnt out. They won't have awful cramps. They won't be missing periods because they're pushing their body too much month after month. Mm. It's meant to be flowing and regular and mm. we're supposed to attune to it. That's not a should. That's just like a biological, like, oh, if you avoid yeah. this cycle, then your body is going to give you symptoms that suck.
0: Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. It's a natural cycle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. that men have their own hormonal cycle. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe this will become more common knowledge through things like the Huberman podcast and whatnot, but. I definitely never was taught any of this growing up in school. No,
1: no. And just to touch on the thing that I alluded to just a moment ago with hormonal birth control, plenty of benefits to it for lots of people, western doctors prescribe it a lot, but there's lots of shadow to it, and if this is new to you, mm. by all means look up the possible byproducts of using hormonal birth control for a long period of time on the internet. If you're really not sure, you trust me, but I will say that yeah, it completely dismisses the female natural cycle and provides fake hormones in the form of of pharmaceutical drugs into the body and the body stops creating its own. So you're disrupting the body's capacity to make its own hormone Mm. by putting alternative hormone in it. And then the ovulation you feel is not real ovulation. You're not really releasing an egg. Your body's not actually capable Mm. of holding that egg. So all of it is fake. Your period is therefore even not a real natural period because Mm. it's been falsely induced. And so your pheromones change and the way your partner smells you is affected. And I have seen plenty of people who are married and the woman had been on birth control for the first couple of years they were together. And when she goes off birth control for them to have a baby, mm. she her scent changes because she comes back to her natural pheromonal cycle. And also it's all whacked out. I won't even go into how whacked out getting back to a normal cycle would be after being altered for so long is. but. That sometimes causes divorces because they're no longer attracted to each other in the same way. Her sense of smelling the man also changes because she'd been placated in her normal hormonal structure. Andrew Huberman also goes into this man on one of his podcasts. I'm giving a lot of plugs to him, but he really does it from such a well-educated scientific stance. He's talked about animals in the wild, and there's one example he does with red deer. Oh yeah, It's really fun. It's a fun podcast.
0: That's so fascinating. So... Being on that hormonal birth control and then stopping could change the attraction you feel through the smell and pheromones with your partner. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we're messing with things we don't fully understand. Yeah, with a lot of this stuff.
1: And that's how science is, isn't it? We're really <laughs> we're testing. We say it's safe and FDA approved, and then a little while later it gets repealed when we realize it wasn't really mm-hmm. safe. But you it takes some time. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes it takes a long time. Like it could take decades for certain things to reveal itself like the ozone layer stuff and the things, like the molecule in hairspray from way yeah, back. Yeah. And eventually they had to change how they made those products, hairspray yeah. and air conditioning and fire hydrant, uh, fire extinguishers. They mm-hmm. all use the same kind of molecule that when we found out polluted our ozone, we had to change, mm. but we thought it was safe until then. So here I am saying <laughs> we think hormonal birth control is safe, but I tell you, sure it might keep you from getting a baby in you, but it's having a lot of other negative byproducts.
0: Okay, and this is, I mean, this is interesting. Do you have anything to share with people for other alternatives to birth control that you would recommend more? And-
1: the best thing is fertility awareness method. FAM is an acronym. There's so much research on that now because there's really only in that 26 to 29-day window like five or six days that you could get pregnant. Mm. And so being able to really track your cycle and be really aware of when your ovulation is based on the fluid that comes and the body temperature that comes That's actually really foolproof. (laughs) It works really well. It works really well. And of course there's risk. Mm. Um, And for the people who want nothing hormonal in their body, but they want Mm. another method, the only other method I've heard of is the copper IUD, the Paragard. Mm. And there's plenty of research out there that says Paragard is also bad. And I have had the experience of what it's like in my own body Mm. and have not had the negative experiences that I see in research. But I think that that's because, again, back to... Having good diet, having the right balance of exercise and rest, drinking the right fluids, treating my hormones well, like having hormone-supportive practices, whether those are yoga practices with oils or whether those are uh, teas and Chinese medicine and herbs. There's so much you can do to support your cycle so that even on a paraguard, you can still have a healthful, thriving body. That's a whole other topic, though. Much nuance. I promise I'm not the queen of all the nuance in this particular recording, but but I want to give you some things to really think about and look into.
0: I think it's helpful information for sure. Good. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. This is great. It's a wealth of uh, feminine wisdom (laughs) coming to us.
1: (laughs) Really, the theme is embodiment. But, yes, I am a female, so I have a little bit of knowledge about how females can do that too.
0: I guess I've heard a number of teachers or authors or thinkers talk about Embodiment in general is being more feminine orientation and the conceptual thinking is more masculine. I don't know if I agree with that, but. um.
1: There's some truth to that. Yeah. But it's still important for men to be in their feminine embodiment. Yeah. Like to feel what this cool system that you have (laughs) feels. I've not had that experience.
0: Yeah.
1: But I can conceptualize it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I guess in a. At least in some degree in Buddhist Tantra, they talk about women as being more naturally in touch with uh, their emotions and their body.
1: Uh, and I think that's, that's a, because That's
0: just a natural... Yeah, you know, they have to work less hard to get there than maybe men
1: do. Yeah. I think that that's a lot to do with the way that our bleed cycle will be um, when we're really healthy, uh, matching either the new moon or the full moon. And then there may be a month where it's transitioning to be the opposite and it'll flip, but, but that's an an advantage for the villages way long ago. Like not all the women could be on their hormones uh, on their bleed time at the same time. Otherwise the whole village would kind of (laughs) fall apart. Uh, So it just kind of naturally like a natural selection sort of thing came out that around half the women were on the full moon around half the women were on the new moon. And that's cool. That makes sense. We are, I think with that more in touch. Yeah,
0: to it? I know. Do you want anything else you want to
1: share with us? Oh, is this like the end? End. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. If anyone here listening is curious about the work that I do as a coach that that can help you towards your own embodiment and having better balance in your life and avoiding burnout, I do coach digitally, so it doesn't matter where you are. Mm. Um, if you're in Boulder, I blend my coaching and body work together, and there's really awesome packages there too. I know my website will be in the show notes and just one other thing that's an opportunity coming up is I have a retreat and I'm so excited to offer (laughs) my own retreat. My first retreat attending was that big domino that changed my life Mm. towards being better in my body and more in touch with myself. And I hope that this retreat will be like that for others too. It is a Thai yoga retreat, which means that there will be yoga each day and learning how to give Thai massage but you'll receive Thai Massage throughout it as well. So it'll be five days of just tons of time in your body, experiencing your breath move through your body, time for dance and bonfires and the beach. It's in Baja, Mexico, and it's in June. So it's actually coming up really soon, June 19th to 24th. Amazing. So I'm really excited about that. And if anybody listening from around the world wants to come, you can find those things on my website.
0: Thanks so much. Great to have you. Thank
1: you. Thank
0: you, so much, Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the state of mind podcast. I work here in Boulder, Colorado as a psychotherapist coach, a meditation teacher, and you can learn more about that at the state of mind You can learn more about the podcast at our website, the of And you can also get a t-shirt stickers, a hoodie like this one I'm wearing. Another goodie is send us a message. If you want those, feel free to send us any feedback. If you'd like to support this podcast directly, you can do that at patreon.com backslash state of mind. And another way that you can support the show is just to share it with friends, share it with family, post about it on your social media accounts, leave us a positive review on Apple podcast or Spotify. All those things make a big difference and they're greatly appreciated. And I really appreciate everyone who listens to this, who sends us a message, who shows their support. We are at over a hundred episodes now, and it's just been an incredible journey with this podcast. And I'm really looking forward to bringing you more great episodes great conversations and great content in the future so stay tuned and i will see you here next time